0: and their essential
2: love of justice. Hi, welcome to the Custody Line for March 4th. I'm your host, David McLaughlin. Joining me as always, welcome Catherine Smith. Greetings from
0: Atlanta. And welcome Tim Shiflett. Good evening, sir.
2: All right, well, we're going to have later on joining us Wendy Davis, uh, DNC. Uh, member and Rome City Council person, uh, Rome, Georgia. That is, uh, join us to talk about a myriad of different political topics. And um, till then, we're going to be talking about things that have gone on in the past week or so. And, and there's been a lot of them. It, it just always seems like there's no way we're going to get through it all. But we're going to do our best. And this week, um, Donald Trump seemed to run against his own party, and, and we're going to have to. You know, really not just run through it and and merge it all together, but he had a bipartisan summit on guns. He had Vice President Pence on one side, uh, Senator Dianne Feinstein on the other, and at points he seemed to run against one of the uh, GOP's core values, which is protect all the guns all the time. Um, Tim, what in the world was going on when he said that maybe we should restrict gun access? And did the Republicans uh, just about uh, fall out of their chairs?
0: Well, you know, not even from day to day, but it, but it seems like, I guess, from hour to hour. Who knows where he stands on anything? Um, I, I was thinking that in Michael Wolf's book, uh, Fire and Fury, the author says that Trump's aides – knew that the president is heavily influenced by the last person who talks to him on any given subject. So they would jockey for position in order to be that person. Uh, Trump has essentially done the same thing on guns. He, He started by stunning Republicans this past Wednesday at this summit you're talking about, during that televised meeting with members of Congress by appearing to be open to a bunch of Democratic proposals. Diane Feinstein, for instance, who was sitting there with him, was just thrilled with what she was hearing. But then by Friday, after he had met with lobbyists from the NRA and Wayne LaPierre, he, he appeared to walk a lot of these positions back. I mean, look, at that thing he said, take the guns first, go through due process second. Uh, no no Republican president is going to say that. No Republican is going to say that. And he said that on live TV Wednesday, and by Friday, his press secretary, uh, Sarah Sanders, was saying that the president's original position had not changed, which is exactly <laughs> opposite of what he had said. So now nobody knows, guys, what his policy will be. And they had been planning a rollout of this gun policy, so no idea what'll even be in it. And his own party, as you mentioned, David's in a tizzy about this. Uh, so that's that's where we stand now. Good luck trying to sort all of that out.
2: Yeah, Catherine, Donald Trump at heart is a New Yorker. He's you know born and raised in New York City. Where they have very strict gun control laws, I've never heard, uh, you know, prior to say 2014, Donald Trump, you know, never led the charge against uh, any kind of gun restrictions that New York City put in. But then, of course, he's the head of the Republican Party, and that's the party to of unfettered belief in the Second Amendment and this interpretation that it means any gun all the time. Do those two sides of Donald Trump come in contrast here?
1: I don't think it's even that complicated. I think, I think Tim's absolutely right. I think he's only as good as the last person he spoke to. <laughs> and if you're if you have a good enough argument, you can change his mind. And you know he's talking to the, you know the the NRA lobbyists and Lapierre are, you know masters of, you know lobbying in favor of guns. So. Of course he's going to be persuaded by them. That's their job. That's what they do all day long is persuade people that guns are good. Guns don't kill people. People kill people. The <laughs> whole, so, you know. You know, Dave, well, I, I, go ahead, Kim. I, I think it's really um, going to – it's making these, these – like you said, it's making these Republicans really squirm. They don't – you know, they. they want to keep – I mean, I don't know what the base is going to think. Like, what are they, are they um, frustrated by this um, flip-flop, or are they just like, well, yeah, finally he came to his senses, and he's agreeing with, you know, us and the NRA, so we're, everything's cool. I don't know. Tim? Yeah, you, you know,
0: David, you had mentioned that until 2014, you, you he hadn't really articulated a strong position, but. Actually, way back in like 2000, he he came out and said, you know, he was all in favor of a of a ban on assault weapons, which which was uh, in effect at that time. So he he's been all over the lot on this, and, and I'm gonna bet that when his so-called major gun policy come out, that, that I, I just about guarantee that nothing of a great substance will be in it. I I, I I, still think he likes the idea of arming teachers, which <laughs> I certainly don't. Uh, he might mention that. And there's a proposal from John Cornyn and Chris Murphy to fix some issues with the uh, NICS, uh, you know, to shore that up a little bit. Uh, they will not ban assault weapons. Uh, that's not going to happen. And, and, and I don't even think now they'll raise the purchase age because, uh, uh, because Trump, who was for that, is all of a sudden backing off. on So I don't, I don't really think nothing much is going to come of this. And I know the Republicans in an election year when they've got to run in Republican primaries, could you imagine them enacting some kind of major Gun control legislation and then going back to their districts and facing their base with that. Uh, No. Right. No. No Yeah. The
2: only way I thought they could do something like that is, let's say every state had primaries about when Texas does, which is, you know, pretty early March. And then they could, you know, they would be locked in as their nominee and then they wouldn't face the voters for another two full years. But unfortunately, you know, some states have late primaries, some have early, so they'd all, have, some would be facing their primary voters, and um, that was one reason it seems very untenable. You know, you mentioned about arming teachers, and something I don't think we put on the docket, but it was sent around, was up in Dalton, Georgia, which is on the uh, Georgia Tennessee border, a teacher that he, it seemed like it was all his cry for help, but he had a gun. They had to evacuate the school. He fired a shot through the window, uh, seemingly more of a warning shot, from what reports have had. But that, you know, made Atlanta news. That made Northwest Georgia news. But I listened to Politico's daily briefing, you know, The Daily Show, all these different shows. Uh, but it didn't seem to really enter the debate. You would think that that happening would have entered this debate about arming teachers. Um, Catherine, did you hear anything I didn't? I mean, other than just the reports, but, and why did that incident not kind of make its way into where people said, look, this is a reason that this is not something you can do?
1: Well, I think I heard a a headline about it on Good Morning America, but it was just a headline and it didn't, you know, they didn't go into depth on it. Um, Yeah. I think they, I think probably once you, once they examined it, they realized that, you know, the guy was clearly, um, troubled. Um, he had, you know, he had been under suspicion or been investigated on things and he had, he had called the police and admitted to something that didn't happen. My question about that situation was how did he continue to be a teacher after the several incidents that they reported on. It just seemed awful, like an awfully unlikely um, person to, I mean, he obviously had some problems, and that that's the thing that concerned me about it. Not, I mean, obviously the shooting in the school was horrible, but it seemed like they could have uh, predicted that he was going to, you know, have some kind of trouble, and that, that's the thing that bothers me. Why don't we have some way of tracking these kinds of things? But um. yeah, and I guess back to mental health
2: services, which is something that the Republicans will bring up. That you know, it's the mental health side, which it's probably like Trevor Noah said, there's more than one solution. Um, you can do two things. Oh yeah, Tim, uh, why why did um, this not? Uh, you know, get entered into the political side of this argument, I mean, other than just the reporting of the incident.
0: Well, I hate to just say this, but I—he I, didn't shoot anybody. Yeah, that's that's one thing. Now, if he had shot four or five people, you darn right it would have entered in. And therefore, I'm glad it didn't enter in. It. That is, is, is the reason it did not. Uh, that, that's probably it. It was the thing where he barricaded himself in a, in his room. And then that was that, uh, of course, of course, that's the first thing I thought of is that, well, there's a good argument for not arming teachers, but I still think some of them are going to push this argument anyway, because, uh that group really wants to expand the number of gun users. Exactly. They, they, they still believe that more guns is a, a credible answer to gun violence, despite the fact that all available data shows just the opposite. I mean all available data. There, there is not one shred of evidence that arming more people is going to stop gun violence. It's just not going to do it. The only thing that has ever worked anywhere is gun control, not gun expansion. This is not a Wild West show, but you you know what? People just don't, that, that group just doesn't seem to see that, nor do they wish to talk about it.
2: Tim, you hit up on something. You said it's not a Wild West show. I, I'm not somebody. I guess I came along after westerns were popular, um, uh-huh. but it seems like folks that are maybe more inclined to be Republicans, NRA members, are more inclined to like and watch western movies. And in a western movie, you got a guy in a black hat that has a gun, and the way it's it solved is a guy in a white hat has, has a gun. It being Oscar night, I guess it's good we bring movies into it. Uh, do you think that Western movies and maybe some kind of cop movies that are still made, because Westerns are much rarer, is that kind of mentality um, kind of pervasive into this argument? They see kind of a movie logic uh, thing where a gun stops a gun in a movie, but life in Hollywood.
0: Well, they've had it pounded into them, this only thing that, Stops a bad guy with a gun is a good guy with a gun. That's one of them things they love to say. I don't know if movies, I guess they could take a small part because of, you know, the there there are a lot of violent movies and stuff like that, and that that's another small issue to the thing. But any talk at all about gun violence, and if guns are not part of that talk, I still don't see much of a reason to talk because I just don't think anything else is going to stop it. If we describe mass shootings as where 10 or more people were shot, well, there was one of those during the assault weapons ban, and that was Columbine. And... In the 14 years since the assault weapons ban ended, there have been 14 such shootings. And, you know, a lot of them have been done with these assault weapons. They can talk to their blue in the face, arming a teacher with a revolver. is just really not going to stop an AR-15, I don't think, unless they get off a lucky shot.
1: Yeah, exactly. (laughs)
0: You, you know, it yeah. just isn't going to happen, and what's going to happen, uh, God forbid, when an armed teacher pulls out their gun and goes to shoot him? Um, who's going to be in the way? I mean, no. It just, it's just craziness that they would even suggest such a thing. Craziness. Yeah,
2: Ka- Catherine, same question. You're our more of our movie aficionado. um uh, is it, you know, the Western, the police movie mentality, um, you know, fa- making some people see guns as the answer, not the problem?
1: Well, I suppose that might have some bearing on it, but I think it's mostly this um, message that um, the NRA and their um, supporters and have, have been drilling into the public for decades that you know, the more people who are, you know, the more guns we have, the safer we are. It's like a, it's been a uh, argument against gun control for decades, and I think um, they've been very successful. Like I said earlier, they um, it's their job to you know uh, promote gun use and. well, it's their job to promote the purchase of guns. I think, you know, what it comes down to is money. Is You know, we we want people to buy more guns because it's good for our uh, member organizations and companies. It's really terrible. It's really greedy.
0: Yeah, it really is. Yeah, uh, I
2: think one of y'all mentioned Wayne LaPierre. That is one of the few political figures that I remember... uh, You know, before I was in college and and studying political science, he was around, and he's still around. And there seems like no end in sight. I mean, that guy has just been around in the same position as long as anybody in politics. Um, He he has longevity. Um, Well, let's kind of talk about the other side of this, where Trump turned against Republican values for many Republicans, particularly. Chamber of Commerce, Wall Street, Main Street Republicans, free trade is what they want. And Donald Trump um, talked about tariffs on steel, sent uh, shockwaves through the GOP and another side um, when he, you know, talked about this. And a lot of Republicans kind of reacted uh, negatively to that too. Um, Catherine, uh, why did he? You know, we know he's talked about this in the campaign. But seeing that his campaign – or his not his campaign, but his presidency has remained on some sh- uh, sh- shaky ground,
1: why did he bring up these tariffs now? To distract us from everything else that's going on. <laughs> and because he doesn't understand trade and, and the impact that tariffs like this have on trade, he's just – he's uh, – Grasping at straws at this point, I think. Yeah, you know, he, he Tim, said it, um, when he was when he was running, he said, "I'm going to stop these trade, blah, blah blah." So now, you know, whatever a year and a half in, he's going to he's like, "Okay, I better do that now." I said, "I would." <laughs>
2: yeah, t- t- Tim, how does this affect the political calculus? Because of course, some you know, like Bernie Sanders might, uh-huh. and, and people uh-huh. that are you know, kind of in that part of the Democratic Party. They didn't like what President Obama did or what President Clinton did. Um, how does this change the political calculus? His
0: own advisors and congressional Republicans in heavy numbers oppose this. Uh, they are going to have a running duck fit. They already are. You know, Rob Porter, the guy that he had to let go Because of the stuff come out about him beating his ex-wives and stuff According to a lot of media reports He was a guy who could keep Trump in a moderate place on issues like this He could walk him back from the edge He had that talent Well, with him gone uh, Trump, chaos, you know, the chaos he likes to talk about That's kind of getting the upper hand with him now and uh, thus Trump is is making these sorts of decisions on the fly. Not not good. Uh, this could ignite a trade war. Canada, of all things, the number one exporter of both steel and aluminum to us. Uh, the stock market's falling yeah. on account of this legal challenges by other countries at the World Trade Organization are, are in the offing because we have trade deals with these people. And and then there's the matter of retaliation. And they these other countries will retaliate, I guarantee you. So uh there's nothing good's gonna come of this, David. A lot of companies like Automakers ask Trump not to do this. Um Bush and them did it 16 years ago, and it's estimated that it cost about 200,000 jobs. Um, then there's the infrastructure. We don't have the infrastructure to take over this the steel and aluminum industry. Exactly. You know that bo- boats are built. A lot of boats are built in Missouri for some reason, have been since the Civil War. I don't know why. But they take a, a form of sheet metal that's not even made in this country. Good grief! Even Roy Blunt's going crazy. So oh, yeah, <laughs> uh, find a good find a good point to make about this for us, David. I can't.
1: <laughs> oh well,
2: I, I have something good for us, but it's not about this. Uh, our guest is uh, called on in, and so we want to segue over to that. Uh, welcome back to the Kudzu by Wendy Davis.
3: Thank you very much for having me. Always a pleasure to be with y'all. Yes. Well, Wendy, I'm going to start touching, it off. Uh, I'm not touching that topic. <laughs> yeah, we
2: want to ask about bill tariffs, um, but we are going to ask you about what we talked about, about guns, but we're not going to talk about the Trump and the national side about it. Uh, we're going to bring it back home. You represent the DNC in, um, uh, for Georgia, and you're a city council member in Georgia, and you're a resident of Georgia. And um, this past week um, – The Georgia Republican Party, for the most part, Casey Cagle, among others, um, uh, went after Delta because Delta ended a NRA discount, which honestly, I mean, probably a lot of NRA members, you know, they're not in it for the discounts. They're not in it for the free rent or the discount on the rent a car, the booking fee waiver, whatever it may be that they get uh, from Delta and other companies. But Delta ended it. And uh, they are retaliating by getting uh, or replacing, uh, I will not want to say the fuel tax, but a tax break on fuel, which was actually criticized by Clayton County School Superintendent. We asked um, a Republican uh, the other week about that, and they were talking about how you do these things, and they're good. Well, now they're not doing them. They're not good when that relates to the NRA, so I'm just totally confused. Um, what's your take on this? And how do you think it'll affect our ability re- to recruit other businesses? Because some people say, "Oh, Delta may leave." Don't know if that'll happen, but it may cause the next industry, including Amazon, to say, "I don't know about Georgia's business environment."
3: Well, uh, that's a, a lot to cover there. So let me start by saying, yes. uh, <laughs> you said you don't think you don't know if many people have taken advantage of that opportunity. Well, word has come out. This week that a some a huge, huge sum total of 13 people had taken advantage of that NRA member discount. <laughs> so all this mess is is for show, right, which we knew it was for show. But it, but it is not like, uh, you know, Casey Cagle and his compatriots in the Republican Party were standing up for the millions of NRA members who – were taking advantage of this discount 13 people had taken advantage of the discount so it was a way to say that the NRA is they they said really carefully delta you're not conservative and we need you to support conservative causes like the NRA and if you're not going to retract the nasty thing you just did of taking away this discount uh we're going to take away uh i think it was 30 30 million dollars
1: Uh, tax break.
3: 20 or 30. Uh, You know, not insignificant even by Delta standards, right? It's a lot of money. And uh, Delta said, you know, we didn't make this decision um, uh, about money. We made this decision because we want to avoid controversial issues and the NRA right now is, you know, white hot controversial, so we got rid of it. And, And it sends a signal that the People who want to lead, because every single one of the Republicans who are running for governor all me on top, you know, all said, "Hey, I feel that way too." After Casey Cagle started that war, um, that leadership says that the NRA is more important to them than our state's largest private employer, which I think is mortifying. And as you said, we'll give other companies calls, particularly Amazon, as if Amazon we were even on the list after what the legislature has done. About saying that they want to make it perfectly okay for adoption agencies that are licensed by the state to say that um, gay children may not don't have to be included in their adoption, neither do um, gay families you know adopting parents uh, and uh, so we're sending all kinds of wrong signals to these big companies, and and it's going to hurt us. If you don't think it can hurt you, look at what happened in North Carolina. Oh,
2: most definitely. Well, I want to ask then, I want to kind of segue over to the Georgia governor's race um, about kind of what this means. The way I saw this thing three or four weeks ago, or or probably before that up until just the last week or two, was you know, Brian Kemp and Michael Williams in
0: particular
2: were going to run to the right of Casey Cagle, and Casey Cagle. was going to try to talk about technical schools and safer stuff for Republican. He was still going to hold a lot of these, you know, more hardcore Republican issues, but he wasn't going to emphasize it. the fact that he he led this charge. Tells me there's some internal polling that he felt some pressure from his right flank. So therefore, he needed to make a big stand to move to the right. Have you gotten any sense? that Casey Cagle was in trouble on his right-hand side is the reason he did this?
3: Well, I mean, every other candidate is to his right. <laughs> I mean, he's been sort of the the reasonable one. He said has focused on things like these college and career academies and uh, put a little bit of energy into the technical colleges. So um, I, I guess it wouldn't be surprising that his consultants uh, – People are saying, you know, the only way for Republicans to win these days is to out Trump Trump, and you know maybe that's what he was trying to do. Um, I think it. I personally think it it hurt him a lot in the business community. Um, but I mean, we'll see. The interesting thing is there's a poll that came out this week, but it was taken before all this Delta mess happened, right? And so <laughs> it's hard to know. It showed him as a front runner. But frankly, um, with a lot of undecided still in the race.
2: Yeah, well, let's let's move over to the other side before I pass it on to Catherine and Tim. Um, there's really not been as much news in the general uh, media, if you will. Now, of course, Democratic groups we hear much, and if you read Daily Coast and things like that, you hear about Stacey Abrams and Evans. Uh, but there hadn't been as much about that side of the race. And a lot of it, really, there has not been much coverage of the race in general until this week with some of what happened with Delta. Do you think it's beneficial or not a good sign that there's not been as much coverage of the Democratic primary?
3: Well, I mean, I, I, I think that very often all the primary races get um, not a lot of coverage until we're in the heat of them. Right. I mean, that's that's not unusual um, or unless something significant happens like this Delta thing. I think both of our Stacey's have uh, tried to take advantage of what I think was a, a PR misstep by Casey Cagle. Uh, I mean, obviously, Republicans may not agree with me on that, but um, uh, I think they both tried to take advantage of it. I think another interesting thing that was in that poll was that you would expect right now in a sort of static time when there's not a lot of discussion of any of these candidates for governor really sort of the natural way of things would be that the republican candidates would have a significant lead but they don't um you know as a matter of fact both of our stacy's um in this poll that came out again before this nra delta thing happened um both of our stacy's had um leads against some of the Republican candidates, right? um, Casey Cagle was ahead of them both, but not by a lot. And so it's a really, really interesting time, and I think the race is going to be a lot closer than people would um, have initially given it credit to be.
2: Yes. You're making me want wish that they could just run as governor and lieutenant governor. I'm not putting either one in either office, just so the whole campaign could be, our Stacey's, our Stacey's. That right. would be kind of right. um, <laughs> interesting. Well, I'm going to pass it over to Catherine and then see for some more questions, and they may even go more national. Catherine?
3: So, Catherine, I want, I want you want to me. tell me first how much you enjoy that Planned Parenthood discount at Delta.
1: Oh, yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> well, I've been, I've been saying all, we've all been saying all week we will trade our whatever, you know, free shipping or whatever it is from 1-800-Flowers. <laughs> For adult discount. right. But, uh, in case uh, but honestly,
3: don't know um, none Williams, of our supporters
1: like there are yeah. no discounts for Planned Parenthood supporters or um, donors. There's not nothing like that. Are, I mean, are, are you saying that Michael Boy
3: went on national TV and made that up?
1: Yes, <laughs> I am saying that. And I I'm think, shocked. Um, and and I love that CNN called him out on it. It was um, quite quite enjoyable. Anyway, okay. yeah. So I'm sorry, pardon know, the interruption, and, and but I had to get No, that it's fine. I, I, thing just, in. I just always love that, you know, it's always Planned Parenthood they come after. It's like, can yeah. you give us a break? I'm still waiting at least for, for my week? checks from George Soros. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> um, I just wanted to uh, ask you about uh, the upcoming DNC meeting and what you're expecting. Are you expecting it to be a you know, a love fest, or are we going to have some uh, some uh, fisticuffs? What do you think?
3: Well, hopefully, we won't break out into a brawl, um, <laughs> but I can't I can't imagine us singing "Kumbaya." Um, I I know it has, uh, frankly, it hasn't hit even all the DNC members' radar screens yet. But the Unity Reform Commission recommendations are coming, uh, have, have been sent to the DNC, uh, that group that was put together from a resolution uh, during the 2016 convention uh, had, um, you know, people, frankly, representing Secretary Clinton and representing uh, Senator Sanders uh, to sort of work through a lot of the issues that came up during the 2016 primary campaign and to re- make recommendations for the 2020 campaign. And it ends up that that resolution, which um, to the best of my knowledge, I would say 90% of the people uh, who were delegates to the convention thought that resolution just set up the commission, said, you know, y'all go do your thing after this, right? Let's get through the election and then y'all make some recommendations back to the DNC. Well, apparently that resolution also said that those solutions need to include getting rid of the unpledged delegates who are um, regular DNC members. Uh, although oh, so members Like
1: the superdelegates? Dele- super what
3: what people generally refer to as superdelegates. Yeah. Um, and then the only people who would remain unpledged delegates would be um, Democratic um, members of the U.S. House and U.S. Senate, Democratic governors and Democratic former presidents and vice presidents. So um, uh, I didn't realize the resolution said that. A lot of people didn't realize the resolution said that, but that's what this unity reform commission has come back and said that regular DNC members like myself, right, who are selected on a state level, um, their votes would be conditioned now upon how the vote goes in your state and people who are, At-large DNC members Or, you know, a lot of our affiliate Organizations have membership On the DNC, like the group I'm in The Democratic Municipal Officials, we have three seats Um, Those Would be, their vote Would be based on the national Vote um, During the primaries Um, You know, some uh, Apportionment there too And um, so it now Goes to the DNC, the Rules and Bylaws Committee is trying to figure out how to take the Unity Reform Commission recommendations and put them into um, actionable rules. Um, Some of them will require charter changes, and that's what we'll be hashing out next week. It seems um, not particularly realistic to me that the, you know, 350 or so members of the DNC who will now lose their capacity to make that decision on their own, Um, would decide to basically take their own votes away. I find that a little bit hard to believe, but uh, I know the leadership wants unity and wants us to get this all behind us and move forward. So um, it will be interesting to see um, how a resolution is found.
1: Yeah, that sounds like um, (laughs) quite the conversation, so to speak. But it will be good for your cell phone usage, right?
3: Because <laughs> yeah. you won't get as many
1: phone call, you won't you wouldn't get as many phone calls as I'm sure you got in 2016.
3: Oh, you know, in 2016, to be frank with you, I I was never uh, approached by any of the campaigns other than the Clintons. It was really kind of awesome. disheartening. I was because when I my y'all might have remembered me talking a long time ago. My I worked for Governor Richardson's presidential campaign. And the main part of my job as Southern State's political director was to approach all those DNC members and try to get them to come on board with Governor Richardson or at least stay neutral, right? And, um, and the fact that the other campaigns never approached me I thought was uh, not good um, strategy on their part.
1: So. Yeah, that's really interesting. <laughs> well, good luck this week. I hope, it, I hope it's not uh, too painful. <laughs> Thank you Yeah, it. And, and I hope you have some good some good times with uh, your colleagues and friends Who I'm sure you've made over the years with at the DNC And now I'm yeah. going to pass it to Tim for his question Thank you Good evening,
0: Wendy How are you doing?
1: I'm doing well, my friend
3: Thank you uh,
0: You know, of course we We uh, hear all of these stories about a coming massive blue wave, the early polling does look good, and uh, the fact that we picked up quite a few flips in the last year in legislative seats in the U.S. Senate seat in Alabama and stuff like that, Um, and Democratic enthusiasm through the roof, GOP enthusiasm, according to the pollsters, uh, way down. Et cetera, et cetera. But you know where you and I both live. So at the local level, <laughs> have you felt any of that yet? Uh,
3: yes and no. Um, the Republicans have gone dead quiet. I mean, mm-hmm. dead quiet. Um, mm-hmm. And we have had people who have never been involved in any kind of campaign be very active and engaged. We have a League of Women Voters that has sprouted up. People, you know, concerned about voting rights. Uh, people working to to register new voters. Um, there's an energy and enthusiasm I haven't seen before, um, mm-hmm. and I'm and I'm quite excited that we're going to have candidates in places we haven't had candidates in a long time. I'm a little worried that we're going to have. Uh Almost too many candidates uh <laughs> yeah. if you saw uh, I don't know if you saw up in North Carolina, I think they have a candidate in every state house and state Senate seat, or nearly every like a whole. like you know again, normally only about half of them are contested in november and and their numbers it's gonna be something in the ninety percent of them will be contested in November, and that's exciting, but it also stretches resources pretty thin. I was super excited. Uh, found out earlier this week that the, the DNC has um, approved a grant the Georgia Democratic Party requested uh, for um, to engage voters in the primary, not for a particular candidate or, or another, right? But to get to get folks voting, right, and to get them registered. Uh, and the mm-hmm. DNC just gave us a hundred thousand dollar grant uh, to go ahead and get our field program together and up and running um so after the prime after the primary our coordinated campaign will be you know it won't be just starting it will be ready to spring into action for our nominees so i think that's very very exciting it's something you haven't seen in a long time and that investment in field that the DNC did in Alabama was a huge factor. Again, not discounting anything about all the amazing mm-hmm. African American women who were highly motivated and got involved like nobody's business, right? Um, but mm-hmm. it was those investments, and and if they're done right, it's done in a way that doesn't produce the backlash. I think kind of what you ended up seeing with Ossoff is it was <laughs> there was so much that the Republicans got really scared, right? I think in Alabama they didn't know it was happening. Right, because it was sort of under the radar. It was just happening in those communities of interest, and the Republicans didn't get scared soon enough. And uh, yeah, so, so there, the, you know, there's a chance that can happen.
0: So you're you're saying uh, – are you saying that this investment heralds the fact that the Democratic National Committee is seriously looking at Georgia as a state to – Play ball in to win in November
3: yes, yes, uh especially given the the current state and the dNC nationally is not flush right they're they're doing mm-hmm. better than they typically do in an off year, but they're not going to mm-hmm. throw around a hundred thousand dollars to be nice uh that that's mm-hmm. a serious you know commitment uh, of resources. Uh, to the state, uh, and it's it's a great credit to to our leadership team. Um, you know, have put together field programs that have worked, and if with more resources they could do more. And so, um, mm-hmm. so I'm really excited about the possibility. I I told the chairman this week. I said, I, I know there are a lot of places you need to put put these resources, um, but I tell you what, you better not have a Northwest Georgia field office in Cobb County again.
0: <laughs> yeah, really.
3: <laughs> For those of you not in Georgia, Cobb County's in Metro Atlanta and they very yeah, often and every, and every think Georgian of it as a body
0: knows that too, buddy. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, um,
3: so I'm 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 confident that uh, that we're we're gonna have more resources than we've had geared toward actual voter contact, which I think is, is the key to Us being able to be successful You can't just do it with TV ads Yeah,
0: well well, let me ask you this Both on the state and the national level uh, I've been asking uh, a lot of our guests this lately And I want to throw this one at you If you had to choose between Tribalism and Donald Trump What would you say is driving Democratic enthusiasm and just outright anger like I have never seen foaming at the mouth to do what Ted Cruz says, crawl over broken glass to vote? Which of those two things is driving it the strongest this year?
3: Um, I I think it's, um, you know, certainly a backlash against Trump, but it's a— it's a realization that there people are saying I didn't do enough. You know, mm-hmm. even people who who are folks like us who work hard, right, and do things, uh, and right. the people who've been sitting on the sidelines have said, "I sat on the sidelines and was a part of letting this happen, and I can't sit on the sidelines anymore." I I don't mm-hmm. know if I'm I see people willing to crawl over glass, broken glass yet, but I'm happy that Ted Cruz does.
0: Mhm, <laughs> and with that, I'm going to send it back over to David David. Yes, well,
2: Wendy, I just wanted to ask you about two more things that were not Georgia, but I guess not national, but do have a national impact. Okay. The largest Republican state in the Union is Texas, but we're seeing numbers out of Texas this past week that the early vote is trending more democratic than it has in. Decades. Um, what are you hearing about Texas, and what could that portend for um, their elections going forward?
3: Uh, well, I mean, it's exactly what we were just talking about, right? It's the enthusiasm gap in our direction, right? Well, the, the enthusiasm wave in our direction, uh, the gap on the Republican side, and and it's everybody took you know, Texas being Republican for granted on the Republican side. And again, we have people willing to stand up and say, you know, I've got to do something now. And so you see it not just in the number of candidates they have uh, across the board in Texas, um, but you see it in this turnout now in early vote. And it's, it's not minor numbers. I mean, these are huge numbers. I think I saw a stat today that, you know, it's compared to 2014, the last midterm, the Democratic turnout is something like 110% higher or something. I mean, it's just, it's it's exciting. It's really exciting. Now, that could mean that the election day is smaller, right? You you don't know for sure that that means that the, the final tally of turnout will be that much higher, but, but it's certainly exciting, and it certainly sends a, a signal I like uh, to see. Uh, another thing you're seeing all across the country that you're, being in Texas, if you have a record number of women running for office. Um, and that's, but again, from you know the work I do uh, with George's win list and uh, things like that, uh, really exciting to see women stepping up and saying uh, we can't sit on the sidelines.
2: Yes, and I know we don't know what this will mean truly, but I guess for people outside of Texas, uh, we're looking at can it mean that better our work can defeat Ted Cruz because if we Want to get to a Senate majority That's a seat that would be nice to take
3: Right Right <laughs> and, and, and again I still think it's uh, I still think it's I mean if we end up winning Texas It's not going to be uh, You know one or two votes in the Senate We're going to swamp them right <laughs> So uh, there, there's uh, Again there's a long way to go before November a lot of things can happen uh, but right now, the the energy is certainly uh, rising on our side compared to their side, and of course, the as I think y'all were probably talking about before I joined the call. You know, what's going on at the White House and within the administration is just a different mess every day.
2: Mm-hmm. Yes, and one and final thing in this election.
0: And, yeah.
2: Yeah, his people. Um, well, let, let's talk about the special election in Pennsylvania that's coming up any day. Um, it, it seems like Connor Lamb, That they've tried to attack him, but nothing sticks. He fits in the district very well. Uh, Mike Mitkus was on the program last week, had good things to say. Um, but as far as a national perspective, it's the next chance to take a House seat, which we, we've come really close in a lot of those, but hadn't really won a lot of House seats, won a Senate seat, won a lot of state Senate and state House seats. But this will be the first congressional seat I think we'll have taken back if we do. um, Do you think we end up winning this one?
3: Well, you know, I think it's still a little too close to call, but we we don't have any business being close in that race. I mean, again, what what did Trump win it by, 20 points? Um, And it's, uh, you know, the Republicans now – are um, sending lit. I forget what the message was today, but it was some sort of reverse psychology sort of lit. They're sending in lit thanking the democratic candidate for being so liberal, right? Like it's like trying to make people (laughs) acting like they're a left-wing group thanking him for being left-wing when the guy is super moderate, right? Like he's a really moderate guy. And uh, so it's, It'll be interesting to see if those tricks do what they want them to do, right? So. Yes. But it will be well, another Wendy, slap in the face you. to Trump if the Democratic win. Democrat wins, right?
2: Definitely. Well, we thank you for being on the show. We want you to have a good time in your DNC
0: meeting.
3: Thank you so much. Always a pleasure to be with you all.
1: Thank you, Wendy.
0: Thank you, Wendy.
2: All right. That was uh, Wendy Davis, Rome City Councilwoman and – DNC member and longtime guest of the Kudzu Vine. I think she probably came on the Kudzu Vine before she held either one of those two titles. That's how long uh, she's been coming on our program. So always great to have Wendy, one of our favorite guests. Um, well, let's kind of since we talked about that special election, we said we were going to make our predictions because I, I I don't know. Does that one come up this Tuesday or is it another Tuesday away?
0: March thirteenth.
2: March thirteenth. So we Don't still have. Right. Do y'all want to? Do y'all want to go ahead and hold off until next next Sunday to make Let's our predictions? Yeah. Let's do that. That yeah. makes sense because I know there's going to be a poll come out um, on Tuesday from an uh, Gravis Marketing, uh, another one of our um, friends of the pod. So uh, we'll have some more information there uh, about that race. But it is really intriguing, and I guess as we get closer to 2018, people. I guess it isn't such a buildup for any one race Because we know there's going to be so many of them um, Well, with some time remaining um, Let's go ahead and talk about More of what's going on in the White House And that's kind of behind the scenes We got a report that Donald Trump Has, has really decided he wants to Rid the administration, rid the White House In Washington of Jared and Ivanka Now, of course, a little bit hypocritical because Jared and Ivanka wouldn't be in anybody's administration except <laughs> Donald Trump. He he brought them in, and, and honestly, there's so many problems at that White House that even is as bad as we may think those two are. Uh, I don't think you can lay all the blame on those two by any means. Um, Catherine, what in the world's going on when he can't control
1: his own child and uh, son-in-law? <laughs> Well, I don't think I don't think it's a question of not being able to control them. I think he's just recognizing the writing on the wall and so he doesn't wanna be mixed up with them. He wants them out of his realm so that he can stop being criticized for them. That's my that's my take on it. I think he does control them. Yeah, uh More than Kim, they your him, on- certainly. Oh.
2: Yes, I agree Tim, your take on these two And Donald Trump
0: Well, you know,
2: I think it it
0: The the story of the week Extends even beyond them And that is this exodus uh, Of his staff Of his senior staff it, It's just continuing uh, Yes, he did mention uh, To his chief of staff That he would like his assistance And Uh, How did he put it? If they don't like it, they can pack their bags and go back to New York, I I believe was the subtle way that our president put it, as only he can put things subtly, right? Uh, And I don't think it's a question of him not controlling them. I think it'd it'd be to his advantage if, if them two could control him just a little bit. Even they, they realize that moderation uh, has its place when you're a president, and that's something he hasn't seemed to realize. But what did he expect with these two? Because they, like him, had no experience in government whatsoever. And, and, and I mentioned this exodus of his staff. Hope Hicks is gone now. That was his most trusted aide, I guess. She outlasted all of the early bunch, by, by far. Uh, and she was a solid loyalist. She would settle him down by the simple fact that she was so loyal to him and he could turn to her for, for assurance. He, he's really not got anybody much to turn to now for, for assurance of whatever it is he's trying to say. But the Russia probe, the Kushner scandal, Trump's own volatility, chaos. Uh, I look for a lot of his economic team to check out. Gary, Gary Cohn in particular, who stood up in his face apparently and told him, Mr. President, you cannot do this with these tariffs, which is like, you know, waving a red flag in front of a bull because he's going to do exactly that. Well, I'll show you how I can do it, you know. Jeff Sessions, his own attorney – how many presidents have called their attorney general disgraceful? How, how, how about that? Um, then there's Ivanka and Jared, and, and I look for his national security advisor, a uh, master to be gone before the end of the month. Who's that going to leave, David? Uh, yeah, and, and it, you name kind names of, boxed, of senior
1: <laughs> –
2: Yeah, it, it kind of boxes him in because could he then start tapping – um, legislators from Congress Sure, but then he starts Putting those seats at risk um, I mean, because Seemingly no seat is safe These days um, And so therefore, if he taps them Whoa. He puts the authority further At risk, all these folks Ooh. are quitting He's already been said that he doesn't they don't, They're don't. they not staffing up the government Properly with ambassadorships And whatnot, I almost think they need to call Randstad or Kelly Services <laughs> uh, just to get a <laughs> temp you, to, get to start staffing up the government. That's how sad it
0: is. Catherine, I don't think he can look to Congress to tout much right now. I think they're, they're beginning to avoid him, but that's me.
1: Yeah,
0: Catherine, what does he do?
1: I have no idea. <laughs> I don't know where I don't know where he starts to find people. I mean, who's going to sign up for this at this point? Yeah. No, nobody with any um, with any experience or um, savvy. I mean. Yeah. I I don't know what happens. Yeah. It's going to be I a, tell uh, you what I... Interesting.
2: Yeah. What? Yeah, I, I tell you what I think could happen. It won't be that you know Donald Trump solves this at all. If Mike Pence was savvy, he would say, "Mr. President, I've got this," and then he could start moving in all of his people because he does have, I guess, somewhat of an infrastructure and base. Now, of course, and then he could tell people, "Look, you know, I want you to come on in," and they might overlook uh, Donald Trump to a point. I don't know if, if Mike Pence has that kind of uh, you know, relationship uh, or cachet, but uh, if he can move his uh, people uh, in, then he can go ahead and move no, all uh, that infrastructure. In place if the Russian probe
0: heightens no. up enough, he's already got his phone there. Why not? You're going to tell Donald Trump, "Don't worry, I've got this." Donald yeah. Trump, <laughs> yeah, Donald Trump ain't going to want to hear anybody say, "I've got this," because he's going to say, "No, no, no, I've got this."
1: Exactly. And not
0: you. Uh, And I don't well, think let Pence do it. I,
2: well, but I the, you, uh, do you get the idea that Donald Trump outworks anybody any day of the week? I, I mean, I think he <laughs> does like people to do his work for him. I think if you watch The Apprentice Show, that was a TV show they edited, and he still looked lazy on it. Uh, there, honestly, Ivanka did most of the work. Uh, And Little Bon. Um, They went out and saw the little job sites where they were, you know, building a taco truck or whatever they were doing for the the mission. And then he showed up and shook his head uh, for five seconds.
0: But at the end of the day, Donald Trump has to get all the glory. He has to get all the credit. If somebody tells him, Mr. President, I got this, he's thinking, aha, they're going to try to move in on my turf. They're going to try to. Out, Trump, Trump, no, that ain't going to – he he don't listen to nobody, guys. He, he just yeah. – he ain't going to do it. It ain't any.
2: I agree there. He doesn't listen to anybody. I, I just think there's going to be nobody left. I mean, John John Kelly may quit at some point. HR yeah. masters, they think he's already out the door. Yeah. Um, when does – if this steel, tray, uh, steel tariff thing causes more acrimony oh, between God. other nations, Does something happen where Rex Tillerson leaves? When does Jeff Sessions finally have any personal pride and calls it a day? Um, I I don't think that's actually going to happen. I don't think he has any personal pride. He'll take anything, (laughs) he says, because he just uh, wants to keep that job. Um,
0: Yeah, maybe.
2: And so, I mean, when there's nobody left there, and, you know, Hope Hicks, that was a big one when she left. That was somebody that that he had been around. Did um, you know?
0: No. Did you guys know that his ambassador to Mexico quit this weekend? Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. Yeah, she said she is, quote, pursuing other opportunities. Buddy, oh, does well, that sound not, like the definition of bail or what? <laughs>
1: she's, not, she's not spending time with her family. That's uh, the
0: line. I, uh, she she just said she wanted to pursue other opportunities. So, so <laughs> now we don't have an ambassador the, to Mexico either. Answering for the Trump administration in Mexico,
2: that had to be a fun job. I, I don't even think yeah. people would take that at Randstad and Kelly.
1: Um, <laughs> service.
2: Uh, <laughs> I mean, you just really wonder, uh, I mean, you know, at what point, uh, it, it seems like at some point there ought to be some mechanism if you can't fill the jobs, because they say that what? a lot of qualified people just don't want these jobs because they don't want the Trump administration on their resume. If you don't want the Oval Office, the presidency, the executive what? branch of our government on your resume, I mean, that is a
0: really sad state what? of affairs for the, Why you know, America. Why is anybody surprised?
1: Why is anybody yeah, I
0: surprised don't... that this is happening?
1: I mean even in a good well, because even in a good administration the the work is really hard. You know, it's, uh-huh. it's long hours, um, tough decisions, very little time with your family. I mean it's a it's a tough job even when you're, you know, fulfilling your wishes and doing what you really think is right and all that. Even in the best possible situation, it's still really really hard. But in this situation, it's really hard. You're not going to probably get anything accomplished, and you're going right. to have this, you know, uh, stain on your resume of, from working for Donald Trump. I mean, right. it's. it's it, I can totally understand why even the most strident right-wing person would be like, yeah, you know, I'm. this is not going to be good for me in 20 years. It's not going to look good in 20 years. Oh. Yeah, I'm well, most go. definitely it's eight o'clock. Yeah, well
2: we're gonna go. we we it's time. Okay. Um uh but, but thanks the Wendy Davis and uh, this has been the Kudzu Vine for tonight. Good night.
1: Good guys. night, y'all. All right. We are the heirs of that first revolution. We're strong
0: and united america still be a force for freedom and prosperity around the world america has created the longest peacetime economic expansion in our history we are the heirs of that first revolution good common sense and sound judgment of the american people and their essential love of justice